The Echo Chamber, brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Sponsored by The Bullet Group, putting you in tomorrow's conversations today. Hello everyone and welcome to the Echo Chamber. I'm Maya Pavinska-Sims, the Homes Report's EMEA editor and I'm very pleased to be joined in a pretty chilly London today by two of the most creative people in the business. Frank PR's founder and managing partner, Andrew Block, and his co-managing partner, Alex Greer. Welcome both to the Echo Chamber. Thank you for having us. Um, now to introduce both a bit more properly, Andrew, you set up Frank with Graham Goodkind in 2000. I did. After working agencies including the legendary Lynn Frank's PR and Ketchum. Um, Alex, you've been at Frank's since 2005, so like forever. And you were at Shine for five years before that. That's right. Um, and together you look after a team of around 70 yeah, guys right. now, guys and girls. And your clients include Direct Line, Skoda, Nestle, Paddy Power, Chessington. Who else do you want to chuck in there? Go on, Alex. You're better at remembering. <laughs> well, uh, so we've been doing some work with Huawei. Oh, cool. Recently, uh, who are great. Um, been a lot of fun. Uh, we've just done a brilliant campaign that we'll probably talk about a little bit later for Coty slash Rimmel. Okay. Um, which has been excellent and we're very proud of. Um, so, yeah, and, and probably a few others that we'll come on to talk about as we go yeah, through. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about the work later. So, mm-hmm. it's um, it's a big year for you. Frank has come of age. Happy 18th birthday. Thank You're all legal you. now. Yes. Um, how has the agency evolved in that time? Andrew, I'll turn to you first since you were there at the off. I mean, in some ways, it's unrecognisable f- from the day we started with kind of a couple of us sat around a desk with no clients and mm. nothing to do. And then... <laughs> In other ways, it's it's completely transformed. But I think the principles of what we set out to do and the ethos of the agency have remained exactly the same. So the concept of talkability and mm. the ability to get others doing your best marketing for you by talking, tweeting, um, writing about your campaigns, that's still a, still a part of it. It's just how you do it that has changed. Mm. And what are you most proud of that you've achieved in that last 18 years? It's a question I always find really difficult to answer. <laughs> and it's, I think I, I'm always most proud of the last thing that we've done because mm. I just think that in this business, you just don't have time to sort of stop no. too much. And I always think you should never get too high on the highs, too low on the lows. And that just means the thing I'm most proud of is always the last thing that we've done. But, you know, there have been some amazing milestones mm in the agency which you know when we were 18 it did force us to stop for five minutes and look back and you think wow done quite a lot yeah well the industry's changed quite a lot Alex what have you seen since uh, since you joined Frank in terms of the, the the agency itself and the industry so I think the big change was when I joined there were about 12 of us in one office in Camden it's cosy which was cosy <laughs> um, and now we're three offices in the UK, so London, Mank and Mook, mm. plus the team down in Sydney. Um, so our structure's changed. I mean, we've spent the last couple of months evolving the agency offering as well. So we've now got creative team, production team, content social and influencer team. Um, and, of course, the media landscape has completely transformed mm. um, and the way that agencies are working together. And I guess the bit that's always been good for us is talkability was always about ideas that were creatively led we happened in the old days to deliver them through PR because that's what we knew 
Um, and now the best ideas are still brilliant creative, mm. um, but there's more options for agencies to push those ideas all the way through the line. Um, and that's the bit that's most exciting for us. Yeah, that must be really exciting, actually. You've got like so many more channels to play with these exactly. days. Um, just talking a little bit more about how the management structure has changed for those of you, uh, those of our listeners who haven't kind of been following the story. Um, how's um, co-founder Graham Goodkind, what's his role now? He's still involved in the business. Yeah, right? so Graham's still the chairman of the business. He has coined the term going plural, <laughs> basically. Means, I read that. It's like, oh, I don't know what he's talking about. But Yeah, no, neither did we at the time. And I don't think he did either. But we've all sort of figured out what that means, which basically means he's, he's doing a day or so mm. at Frank and then doing other stuff on the other days, playing a bit of golf as yeah, well. a little so bit. I, so I hear. Just a tiny bit. Um, so his it. role really is, you know, to keep us on track, to look at the financial side of things mm. to he's always been a big part of helping come up with creative ideas that side of things so he still dips his toe in in that he's respect been a, a really uh unconventional thinker mm. um and i think it's, it's the bit i noticed i remember when i joined frank was he was brilliantly creative and then also very good at, at long-term business vision um and so now actually in his role he he comes in and he's quite challenging mm. with us on on things that we might not otherwise have thought of because we're in it day to day, five days a week, yeah. quite often more than five days a week. Um, and I think him being a, having a, a bit more distance from it and, and maybe his plurality mm. um, means that sometimes he sees things that we might not otherwise have thought of. Um, yeah. What's it like? How do you guys work together? What's the dynamic there as, as, Wonderfully. as Andrew and I sat together partners. for <laughs> 10 years, I think we've sat next to each other. It's quite natural. I mean, it's. I mean, you know, personally speaking, I've I've, I've worked with Graham for twenty five odd years. Mm, so that's enough, isn't it? Frankly, <laughs> I, yes and no. I mean, it's you know when he discussed what he wanted to do, in some ways, I sort of felt like I was losing an arm, mm, and I bet. you know, I still miss him mm. immensely in in that respect. But actually, Alex and I have also worked really closely together for. Mm many years and I think the thing that I noticed the most is Graham and I had a lot of, sort of complementary skills um, we overlapped in quite a lot of areas and it worked really well we bounced really well off each mm. other and Alex and I in a way it's sort of a more natural split of of roles that seems to work really really well so we both look after the client side of the business and basically sort of split the portfolio mm -hmm. broadly between us but then Alex naturally sort of sits on the running of the business side of things, whereas I look after more the creative side, the marketing side, mm. the new business side of the business. And, and it just, yeah, I mean, I'm enjoying it. I can't answer for Alex. But Alex, are you enjoying it? That's the big question. Yes, that's my note, say yes. <laughs> Alex is on message. He's loving every second of it. Um, tell me a bit more about how, you know, 18 years is a big slice of the PR industry. It's still a, a fairly young business. How, how apart from the, the media landscape and social media and digital in particular, how has being in the business of PR changed over the past 18 to 20 years that you guys have been playing in this field? I mean, trying not to use sort of all the cliches that are out there. I yes. do think PR's grown up mm. a bit. Um, certainly it's perception amongst kind of industry leaders outside of the industry, business leaders. I think it's taken more seriously. 
I think, you know, one of the more recent changes has, has been sort of companies realise that their their reputation is important. Mm. I mean, they probably always realise that. But now the way things um, have gone, you know, you can't choose to ignore that. And there's definitely been... Um, I guess the lines between what is corporate PR, what is consumer PR, what is CSR, yeah. they've sort of fallen down. And, you know, a lot of the work we're doing covers so many mm. different areas. So, and I think that's been great for the industry. I find more and more we're right at the top level, helping um, companies, business leaders, mm. brands sort of define how they should be positioning themselves to consumers. And it goes beyond that kind of the days of, us, you know, PRing an ad campaign or mm. putting out a statement on behalf of a company that they told us to put out. That sort of seems to be gone. Yeah. Um, Agencies have also learned to play nicer together. In terms of what? So, uh, like, oh, the marketing disciplines. Yeah, I mean. yeah. So, if you're in a cross-agency function, everyone now has an aligned view, aligned vision. Everyone appreciates the skill set that the different agencies around the table bring. Mm. Um, and you work towards a, a common goal of delivering best possible mm. campaign. Does it matter? Do clients care where the creative idea comes from? Less and less so. Mm. Now no. they're, they're just after best creative, um, and particularly with the integrated campaigns that we're working on, quite often they will brief all the agencies at the same time, mm. and sometimes actually the agencies work together on what we believe the, the best creative is and then how everyone can play off that creative. Yeah. So mm. Tell me a bit about creativity and what that means at Frank, because that's just a word that's bandied around an awful lot. What, do, what does being creative and the best creative mean at, at Frank in terms of the work you do for clients? Pause. It's <laughs> <laughs> a big question. Um, for us, creativity is as simple as a great idea, mm. but a great idea that on the face of it is simple is often very complex. So there for me that you know there's lots of factors that make a creative idea it can't be creativity for the sake of creativity it has to have a strategic insight behind it the brand has to be inextricably linked to the idea so people remember who did it and yeah. why they did it and it's an idea that to use our favorite word talkability um, has talkability within it so that it will be shared and effectively your consumers, your customers are doing your best marketing for you as they share that idea and take it on board as their own. Mm. What about you, Alex? What's creativity mean for you? Mm, I, it depends on the brand. So sometimes I think great creative is something that makes you smile. Mm. Uh, sometimes it's something that resonates with personal belief, something some might be something that you see going on a trend or an insight. Um, the thing that I love the most is when we we don't start out with what do we think is a good PR idea. We just say what would be a, a great idea for this brand. Right. Uh, and sometimes the starting point is not even what's on the brief. It's just uh, brand X. We love that brand. Wouldn't it be amazing if they did this? Yeah, well, that's quite a real conversation that consumers would have as well. You know, when you've got a relationship with a brand, you kind of want to, you want it to do well, and you you know maybe think of ideas that are nothing to do with yeah with the brief going forward. Yeah, and I think you know sometimes our some of the ideas we've had over the years that have really landed come from like a, an everyday experience, mm. um, and we were talking earlier about the number of children that I have but but actually watching the way kids interact 
experiences that they have, things that they say, you know, that old kids say the funniest things, mm. but like real truth from the mouth of babes, you know. Yeah. It, uh, and that's been the starting point for quite a few of our good, yeah. <laughs> good ideas over the years. Mm. Yeah. I was just thinking, like, when we, when we started, we were obviously small and desperate to win any piece of business we small could. Small and desperate. Um, yeah, we're still desperate. <laughs> no, but we'd, we would challenge every brief and uh, and a, you'd see a brief and a client would want a press office or an, a, you know, a listings campaign. And we were so desperate, not necessarily to win the business, but to do great work mm. that if the brief didn't give us the opportunity to do that, we would challenge it. And then I think you almost you get to a stage where you've done lots of good work and a brief comes in and it's not laziness but you can get in the pattern of just responding to a brief and actually in the last couple of years we've forced ourselves to get back into that mm. mindset of challenging clients in order to be able to do the best work and I think that's maybe because there's so many new opportunities channels techniques ways of doing things mm. that we really want to be able to do that and so if the opportunity isn't in the brief and we think it's the right response we've got back into that sort of challenger mindset our clients you know the name is above the door like i mean frank by name frank by nature no one at frank called frank Mm. um and i don't think there ever has been anyone at frank called frank so so actually if that's the opening line to our creds and that's what we say to everyone who works in the agency as well as you know be frank Mm. like challenge it if you don't believe in it say so be open honest no nonsense um would much rather say to a client we don't think your brief's right we don't think this idea is right give yeah. us an hour a day a week we'll come up with something else than proceed with something we don't really believe in mm. isn't going to deliver the right results the end result will be the agency gets fired anyway so we're much better off from the start saying we don't think this is right yeah. we'd rather come up with something else and tell me, let's circle back to this whole talkability proposition because we're kind of you've summarised it a little bit. But where did that where did that come from? And we've spoken before, Andrew, about how Frank maybe not lost its way, but just sort of um, th- that wasn't coming to the fore for a few years. And you've really kind of built that back up into what you guys are all about now. In in in, in the most recent couple of years, tell me tell me about talkability and the journey you've been on there. So, well, at one stage. We were going to call the agency Talkability. Okay. Um, but then we thought it sounded a bit like a mobile phone it company. It does sound a little bit like Talk Talk. So it? it does. So we called it Frank instead, which was a good decision. Um, we always believed from the outset that the best ideas were the ones that got talked about. Mm. And then what? it's not just a word that we have the trademark in and it's registered to Frank. There's a bit more behind it too. So we developed a, a whole kind of proprietary um, strategic structure around coming up with creative ideas that had that sort of magic ingredient of talkability and mm. it involves playing around with different triggers and effectively what it does is it just gets your mind thinking in different ways and it, it sort of came about because Graham and I used to just spend time locked in a room and would naturally follow a process that just kind of worked for us and we knew how each other thought and it would normally involve one of us abusing the other one (laughs) until we ended up with an idea we liked and then we realised it was quite hard to replicate that 
when we weren't around or even if it was one of us with someone else. So we started to sort of put it down on paper. And it's really about disruptive thinking. Mm. Um, and then following on from that, there is a process with the equally catchy sort of title of makeability. So what that is all about is it's all very well to have a good idea, but if no one, if there's no outlet to get that published, written about, then it's kind of pointless and lots of good ideas die because they don't fit in with the media agenda or mm. digital agenda. So makeability is about understanding the principles of what makes a great story and what will help a story spread. So you kind of combine these two things together and that's and an idea pops out at the end of it. And now it's a process that is followed throughout the agency. We've got a creative director now, which is kind of the first time Frank's actually had a creative director in its history and for many years we sort of resisted the temptation mm. of doing it because we were worried that it would become the responsibility of one person and right. other people would think well, that's not my job to be creative and we really do and still do truly believe that everyone within the organisation has a responsibility to be creative even if they say I'm not creative Every, everyone is to a degree and the best ideas often come from random people who say they're not creative that mm. trigger an idea or a thought um, and so what our creative director Graham Anthony has done is helped build this process into everyone's thinking and enable them you know sometimes when people don't know how to start coming up with an idea mm. you know they sit in a room and do you know a brainstorm and it just kind of meanders around. If you follow the talkability process, it will take you down a road that will get you to ideas easier and put some structure mm. around that creative process. So it's, 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 it is important It's quite counterintuitive, isn't it, having a rigorous process to come up with creative magic? Yeah. I mean, I don't know how rigorous it is. It's kind of more a structure to mm. enable you to think, but then the process around it is still pretty chaotic and... Um, fluid so and I think we also recognize you know one of the things when it comes to people we quite often get asked what makes a frank person and, and there isn't one you know mm. we we went through a stage where we sort of talked about ourselves as like a stray cat's home you know we were just looking for interesting people um and the whole frank it's an image isn't it yeah <laughs> but, the, well but the, <laughs> the frank proposition is is you know when you're at your most relaxed and you feel you're most comfortable that's when you'll do your mm. best work um and so, in theory, if we were to fill this room with people from Frank, we would end up with a dozen people with different ideas, different attitudes, different interests, oh. chuck all of that at a brief, and suddenly you start to get some quite interesting insights and, and ideas. Well, that's that old argument, well, new argument, isn't there, that you can't come up with truly diverse creativity without having diverse diversity of thought at the very least as an agency. And that's part of the reason also for Manchester and Glasgow mm. um, and Australia. You know, it's it's amazing. I was chatting to Laura, who's the MD of Frank Oz, um, and I was walking home last night and it was one degree and it was freezing and she had just finished a gym class and was telling me how it's the start of summer and she was getting on her bike to cycle to the <laughs> office at quarter to seven in the morning. Um, and, and so, of course, her current outlook on life living over in Sydney is mm. totally different to... Ours over here in London. 
Um, I'd forgotten, I must admit, that talkability was your trademark. Do you pick people up on using it, like without the capital T and the TM at the end of it? We have introduced on our website the Talkability Enforcement Agency, (laughs) which allows people to anonymously shop others that use the name. And it's it's a bit of fun, really. I mean, we do own the rights to the name Mm. in certain categories, but over the years, so many people, I mean, it's brilliant when a client says to us, oh, I was at X agency and they used the word talkability. I told them it was yours. And it's yeah. it's a bit of a laugh, really. But it's amazing since this Twitter tool has come into effect, the names that come through of agencies. And it's, it's, People actually using it? Yeah. I mean, not in their <laughs> hundreds and thousands, but there's been... Such a gossipy industry. It's just a bit of fun, but it's not just PR agencies. It's ad agencies, media agencies. But But it's um, nice when something that that sort of originated at Frank ends up in vernacular. Yeah. It's great. I know, properly properly in the vernacular now. I mean, it's like, you know, nobody uses it with a capital T. It's as simple as that. So give me an example of, uh, well, until you, you know, until you're enforcing them to use that. (laughs) Can you give me an example each of what you think one of Frank's most talkable campaigns have been? Andrew. Alex, do you want to kick off? I can go first. Shall I go from history? Go Go from history, way back in the mists of time. History. So way back in... uh, My favourite Frank campaign and the one that put us on the map really was a campaign we did for HP Source. So this is actually a lovely example of challenging a brief. So HP Source, you kind of either like it or you don't like it. We had a fairly mundane brief to look at kind of what recipe ingredients we could create to promote increased usage of HP source. Oh gosh, um, and it was kind of I'm not much of a cook. Mm. It was going to be a difficult brief to answer. Um, but actually we looked at the emotional side of the brand and we kind of, I guess our, our thought process was you, you do like it or you don't like it. Mm. Part of the problem is if it's not front of mind you just don't necessarily think about using it and if we could bring the brand to mm. the front of mind and keep some build some sort of warmth around it that would increase usage that was the kind of theory so hp very british brand quintessentially british actually has the houses of parliament on the bottle yeah um we looked at other british things that we could align ourselves with looked at came up with the sport of snooker um it was the world snooker championships were taking place and we decided we would attempt to be the first ever brand to sponsor a ball in snooker okay. obviously the brown ball obviously the brown so um, we approached the world snooker organization convinced them that we could sponsor the ball so all the practice balls um, when the players were sort of warming up for their games would have hp source logos um, and then we felt that wasn't going far enough so the iconic British snooker player, Jimmy White, we approached him and we said, would you consider changing your name to Jimmy Brown for the duration of the tournament? Miraculously, he agreed and he changed his name officially via Depot. And then to provoke the talkability and really get it going, we sent legal letters to all of the broadcasters and media covering the tournament to say that from Jimmy saying, I've changed my name to Jimmy Brown. This is what you need to refer to me as for the duration of the tournament. BBC played right into our hands, said this is ridiculous. We can't do anything like this. It's 
commercial. We couldn't possibly promote a sponsor. We wrote back saying, what are you talking about? It's a colour. It's And this is my name. You have to refer to me by my name. It kind of ended up... Um, with them referring to him as the whirlwind right? because he said he would walk out if they called him Jimmy White um, and they didn't want to call him Jimmy Brown. So he was just known as the whirlwind for a tournament and all the captions, everything on the TV referred to the whirlwind because that, that was his nickname. Jimmy the whirlwind White was his, his nickname. And it was incredible. The campaign went absolutely everywhere. It got global coverage. Um, for me, the moment when I knew it had really worked was... We'd sort of blagged some tickets to go and watch the snooker at Wembley. And I remember walking up with Graham, actually, um, into the arena where you see all the kind of merchandise stands selling gear. And there was Jimmy Brown T-shirts, Jimmy Brown scarves, nothing to do with us. And I was like, wow, this has really entered public consciousness. Yeah, when there's merch, you know you've made it. You know know you've made it when there's merch and you haven't paid for the merch. I think we own half of that merch now. We're so excited we bought it all up. Um, But that, for me, was an amazing campaign. did a brilliant job Mm. for HP. They saw their sales increase, I think it was 7 or 8%, which was the biggest increase they'd seen in the history of the brand. Don't quote me on that because it was a long time ago. But it it did well. Um, And then following on from that, we did a load of campaigns from them. We saved the British CAF from the influx of... Well, the campaign was actually codenamed Fuck the Frappuccino because Starbucks <laughs> were kind of coming in on our high street and threatening British calves. So we wanted to save them. So we did that. We got Paul Smith to design a limited edition bottle of HP sauce. And there was 1899 because it was 1899 was the year HP was founded. So which was sold exclusively in Harrods and auctioned off on eBay for thousands of pounds. Wow. Still have one in my drawer if anyone wants to put a bid in. Yeah, it's my retirement plan. It's number one signed by Paul Smith. So I'm just waiting for the right moment to to flog it. So for us, that was brilliant. It won PR Week campaign of the year. I think it was 2004 or five. Um, But for me, that A, it sort of exemplifies what talkability is is all about. It was Mm. a campaign that really took on a life of its own and we weren't even having to do anything. It was... Every sort of newspaper columnist was talking about it. Broadcasts were talking about it. Um, but from a frank perspective, put us on the map mm. and was the campaign that really got us noticed. And you know, soon after that, we kind of shot up in mm. terms of the type of clients, type of work we were doing. It took HP beyond the sausage sandwich. Which exactly. Is and no I still love thing. HP sauce. <laughs> what about you, Alex? What's been your most talkable campaign you've worked on? Mm. Uh, so I'll talk about more recent stuff. Okay. So I referenced earlier, sometimes like a great creative idea comes from a nice little insight, something you observe. So we were, we took my boys uh, to go and see Father Christmas. And first thing Father Christmas says when he meets boys and girls is, have you been a good boy or a good girl? And the kids nod furiously and the parents stand in the background like shaking their heads. And so we realised the first thing kids do when they meet Father Christmas is lie. Right. So yeah, we true. look after Hammerson shopping centres, um, of which there are 10 across the UK. They have Christmas grottos. Uh, so we introduced a lie detector test for kids before they went in to meet Father Christmas. <laughs> That's outrageous. Uh, and kids that passed would get a present and kids that didn't would not. Anyway, so that that uh, was one of those stories that just took off, went around the world, um, all over TV and in the States, in Russia. I mean, we were getting news clippings through that we couldn't read. Um, 
but but was a, a brilliant piece of work. And then even more recently, we did a great piece of work for Green Flag last year. Um, and this is a football-based idea, so it's probably bad for me to explain it because um, I don't really follow football. But, but Green Flag were basically we were running a promotional offer whereby if you were in sh- if you had your breakdown covered with the AA or the RAC and you switched to Green Flag, you would get fifty percent off. So why would you not switch? So we said, okay, well, we're, to bring this offer to life, we will dramatise the impossible switch and we'll see if we can get a football fan to swap their allegiance of their team. Mm. So during North London derby, which Arsenal Spurs, we took over a pub, filled one half the room with Spurs fans, one half the room with Gooners, and then we brought in a hypnotist who would hypnotise those who were susceptible to swap their allegiance at half-time, filmed the whole thing, released the content overnight, and it went absolutely everywhere. And we won a couple of awards for that last year as well. Um, so I, I think for us, you know, and that's a, a great example of of fun, insight-led, tapping into cultural sporting moment, um, but doing it with a twist. Yeah, absolutely. And what about other agencies? Who else do you admire? Who's doing good stuff at the moment that you've seen? I mean, there's so many agencies doing exciting work. And for me, I love the agencies that are taking on the rest of the marketing mm. world and sort of crossing over the boundaries of what people perhaps previously thought wasn't the domain of PR agencies. Yeah. Taylor Herring is my favourite agency. Good example. In terms of creativity. And I think they are banging out campaign after campaign. Really good PR stunts, but using different techniques to get, get them out there, whether it's digital um, mm or even sort of producing TV ads, experiential. And they just, I, th- I think more than any other agency, put a smile on my face with some mm. of the work. I love the Beano and Water the Softy campaign mm. yeah, they that did was great. with Jacob Rees-Mogg and so many others as well. So they're, they're doing a really nice job. Um, there's some ex-Frankers that have set up agencies and doing really well. So Lizzie Earle, who used to work at Frank as... She's amazing, isn't she? She is amazing. Shortlisted for our Best New Agency this yeah. year. She's doing yeah, cracking she, work. Yeah, and she won Best New Agency mm. PR Award. So um, I think she's doing some really nice work and is a lovely person. Um, David Fraser is doing really well. Yep. Um, who used to be at Frank and has set up Ready 10. Alex, and who's your favourites? I mean, look, I suppose you, you name-check PR agencies. I, I look at like some of the brand work that's getting done for Nike and I think consistently mm. Whedon are knocking it out of the park like, it's amazing yeah. the stuff that they're doing and I'm, I'm also a big fan of the brand so um, so I follow it closely I, I love their work I think Droga 5 are doing amazing stuff as well for Under Armour mm. um, and then yeah Home Market I mean look, there are also a lot of ex-Frankers over at Mischief and I think they've been having a brilliant run um, and also really looking forward to seeing what Katie Stolliday and Nick Govier are going to do over at Blurred yeah absolutely with Stuart Lambert as yeah. well from my old Weber mucker so uh, <laughs> that's a bit of a dream team isn't it it'll be yeah. really interesting to see how they um, uh, evolve with the Blurred boundaries great name as well yes. um, so let's tell tell me a little bit about you guys then now, Alex you had a comment about Andrew's use of social media <laughs> <laughs> earlier wasn't really for being repeated <laughs> uh, Andrew obviously likes to tweet a lot 
Um, and you've got like million. How many million followers have you got? It's insane. Not it's ridiculous. Just about <laughs> nine hundred and fifty thousand short of a million, but I'll get there. Yeah. Now, Andrew, Andrew is obviously a, a prolific tweeter, um, but I have to say, actually, it's brilliant for mm. Frank as an agency. You know, um, and how could we sit credibly in front of our clients and talk to them about effective use of social? When I hate to use the term influencer because it goes straight to his head, but you know we have got probably the industry's biggest tweeter, yeah, almost influential person on Twitter, um, sat in the office. So yes, Andrew occasionally will tweet something interesting. Um, but it's funny how many new business leads we get as a result of Andrew's Twitter, and likewise, really? yeah, and likewise job inquiries too. Yeah. I think clients really respect when they can see the people behind the agencies yeah. talking and, and having an opinion. I mean, I, I, in all seriousness, I kind of it is primarily work. I try not to say anything too controversial or yeah. opinionated. Um, but actually, for years, we didn't have a frank social media presence mm. because I think it always came from you just look at a lot of agencies social feeds and they're quite boring and it's you know oh pizza for lunch cake for tea and it's all you know nice <laughs> stuff that within yeah. the agency they're happy about and it's sharing but it's a bit introspective and we were just unsure how we would Frank has this almost we like to call it professionally unprofessional as a brand. Okay. Um, in the, we just do things that, on the face of it, look like they haven't had a lot of thought or any thought put behind them, but mm. they have actually been well planned and well thought out. And people speak, as Alex said earlier, we allow people to be themselves and not feel like they have to conform to any particular agency stereotype or what they think they should be. I always felt that was quite hard to get across on a Twitter feed. But having said that, we became conscious of the fact my, my Twitter feed is my Twitter feed. Although it's 95% work, yeah. it doesn't necessarily reflect the views of Frank. They're my personal opinions and thoughts. And I'd almost become the voice for Frank, which is not something I intended to do or wanted to do. So... How long ago? I mean, within the last year or so, mm. we've really worked on our social channels mm. and tried to not talk about pizza and cake and just share our work. Um, and it's actually had a pretty good mm. response. We should have probably done it five years ago. Yeah. Um, it's a good way for us to share the stuff that we're proud of. Yeah. Um, and I think as the agency has grown up, you know, we did turn 18, um, our social channels perhaps reflect more of a professionally professional yeah. approach. Mm. Well, but there is an art to looking like nothing's going on, isn't there, as well? There is. <laughs> there, there is. We've always had a strong brand, and sometimes you can say too much and mm. do too much and talk for the sake of talking, and it's better just to sort of hold back and have an element of mystery to what you do. But, but there's a balance. And like Alex said, you know... We, We've won significant clients directly off the back of mm -hmm. stuff they've seen about us on social media. Mm. And in today's world, your own channels are, are as important as Homes Report, PR Week, any other, other industry title, PR Moment, are all, are all important yeah. to us. Um, however, we have our own channel that we can control and 
use at the same time and working the two side by side has been our best marketing yeah, absolutely get that balance between earned owned and paid right yeah. absolutely that's everyone's wrestling with that one um well thank you both very much for coming into the echo chamber it's been lovely to have a glimpse into the world of frank and um happy birthday thank you very much thank you you've been listening to the echo chamber brought to you by the homes report and produced by marketeers sponsored by the bullet group putting you in tomorrow's conversations today.